Welcome to the Possibility Podcast. I'm Mel Schwartz, your host and thought provocateur. I've been practicing psychotherapy for well over 20 years. During that time, I've been so fortunate to witness countless breakthroughs while working with people, whether one-on-one, as a speaker, in professional trainings, or in workshops. The insights that I've garnered have inspired me to write over a hundred articles and several books, including the companion title to this podcast, The Possibility Principle, which you can find wherever books are sold. On this and every episode, I'll be introducing new ways of thinking, relating, and communicating to help you truly thrive in your life, to reach the possibilities that you may long for. Think of this as a new game plan for living. Thanks for enjoying my emerging community of possibility seekers, and I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode. This episode is going to be a significant departure from past and perhaps future episodes in that my focus today is going to be in sharing aspects of my own personal narrative, not for the purpose of entertaining you or amusing you, but sharing vulnerabilities of my own life experience in the hope that it will help my listeners to rethink and reconsider their own identities in ways that are more manageable, flexible, and self-empowered. The question, who am I, comes to mind for me. I've done a previous episode on that topic, and I wrote an article entitled, Who Am I? And in those efforts, I often suggest that the question, who am I, is the wrong question to ask because it requires, it expects a fixed, inert, static answer, like a fixed identity. To that end, I've often suggested we should ask ourselves instead, how would I like to experience my life, shifting us from a human being into the process of human becoming? Well, Until this moment in time, which I'm about to share with you, I had no idea what was in store for me around this question of who am I? And what I'm about to share with you had me rethink my identity. So let me lead up to the moment that changed my life by describing with you what my life and more particularly my childhood looked like. I grew up primarily in Queens, New York. We moved there when I was five years old in a very comfortable middle-income neighborhood. It wasn't yet as heterogeneous as Queens ultimately became, but it was a great, wonderful place to grow up. Neighbors nearby, living my life on my bicycle with my friends. My younger brother, Gary, four years younger than myself, was my constant companion. Just to share a few memories of my childhood, My recollection and my narrative was that I had a perfect, wonderful, ideal childhood and family. I wouldn't have changed anything. My dad owned his own business in Manhattan, but he was not a workaholic, and he was home on weekends and early evening, and he was a dominant figure in my life. He was an unusual man for that era in particular. Growing up in the 50s, 
that is, I was growing up in the 50s, not my dad. Um, he was very much in touch with his feminine energy. I, he was fully integrated as a man, sensitive to his feelings and able to cry without embarrassment. I recall him sharing that when I was born and my brother was born, he gave up playing golf more or less so he could be home with us. He didn't want to be away so much and spent summer days playing baseball with us. My mom was the quintessential matriarch, not just of my family and her family, but of my dad's family too. They were a strikingly handsome couple. My dad had movie star looks and my mom was beautiful. The synergy between the two of them was just absolutely great. I recall referring to their relationship as a perfect blend or integration of best friends and yet romantic energy. My dad, when he was 86 years old, was in the hospital near death. It was the last moment that I saw him, and I will never forget the last words I heard him utter. He looked up at my mom and he said to her, the day I asked you to marry me was the greatest day of my life. What a storybook finish to his life and to how he felt about my mother and their marriage. I had no recollections of my parents ever fighting or harsh or negative words. Once I recall the screen door banging shut at the front of the house because my father was upset about something with my mom. But he came back in 10 minutes later and peace prevailed again. So I didn't experience fighting. I didn't experience degrading conversation, just supportive, loving energy. So they had a great romance and friendship. And my identity was in large part formed by these memories and experiences. Our home, although not large, was the center for friends and family. Summertimes out at the above ground swimming pool was great festivity and frolicking. I wouldn't have changed anything. Coming back to my dad for a moment, he was a blend of the quintessential gentleman, yet he had a passion and energy and a style unique to him. My mom was about the most nurturing, loving, unselfish human being and woman that I could ever imagine. And their devotion to each other was so significant. So again, in my mind, I had the greatest childhood and the greatest family would have changed nothing. Let's fast forward just over two years ago, perhaps two and a half years ago, my elder son, Jesse, was interested in looking at the family tree. And to that end, he did a 23andMe DNA test. When his results came in, he contacted me and that he found something peculiar. He said, Dad, this is odd. There's an 83-year-old man living on Long Island with whom I share a lot of DNA. In fact, so much DNA, he's coming up as my uncle. Well, we did a lot of research. Both my sons and my brother Gary and I began to look at this phenomenon, and we wanted further confirmation. So my son Alex did his 23andMe DNA test. The same results occurred. Both Alex and Jesse 
had a strong DNA connection with this 83-year-old gentleman named Ed. So we began to speculate. We contacted Ed online, looking at possible plausible connections here, and we couldn't come up with anything. Ed made some suggestions, but we found them far-fetched. Well, as time went on, we began to dig a little deeper and speculate. Ed was born in New York City. My dad, Sidney, lived in New York City. So we began to look at how old was Sid when Ed was born. Well, my father, Sid, would have been 23 when Ed was born, and my father was a single man at that time. So I speculated that my dad perhaps had a fling or an affair with a married woman, and Ed was his child. See, that DNA connection would have supported this thesis. I began to talk to others about that. It made sense to them. I shared this with some of my Schwartz cousins. I should add at this point that the Schwartz family, my dad's family, my cousins and I are all very close, very loving, and very connected. We concluded that that was likely the best explanation we could find. And it probably, most assuredly, Sid did not know that he had fathered this child because he's so nurturing, he was so loving and devoted that if he had a child, he would have acknowledged that relationship. That child would have become part of his life, even if he wasn't married to the mother. So the counsel I was given and accepted was that I shouldn't share this thesis with Ed. Being 83 years old, the question was, why would I want to upset him and rattle his life by suggesting that his father was not really his father? So I decided to go along with that and laid low. I shared this premise further with my cousins, and it made sense to all of them. And we let it be. About six or seven or eight months later, my brother Gary decided to do the 23andMe DNA test. A number of weeks later, he called me. I'll never forget that moment in time. I was sitting on the side of the bed in the bedroom when I took his call. And Gary said to me, Mel, are you sitting? I said, yes, I am. He said, I have something to tell you. I got my results. And Mel, I have no shared DNA. Speaking of Gary, Gary had no shared DNA with Ed. And furthermore, Gary said to me, and Mel, you come up as my half-brother. Shock overcame me. I didn't feel anything. The shock was protecting me from feeling. And in a very dispassionate, calculating, cold, detached way, I said to Gary, so Gary, that would mean that dad is not my biological father. Gary said to me, Mel, that's correct, but you're acting, you're sounding like you're not feeling anything. I said, I'm not. Perhaps I'm not ready to feel. A little while went by, we concluded our call, and I decided to place a phone call to Ed. I had his contact information. When I shared with Ed the results, he wasn't shocked or surprised. In fact, he was rather excited. He had a new relative, a new family member. I was now his half-brother. Ed said to me, I'm not surprised, Mel, 
That's the kind of man my father, again referring to Ed's father, that's the kind of man Ed's father was. His name was Milton. And Ed said that his character, his personality, and his behavior was such that infidelity here was not surprising or shocking to him. Ed was warm and embracing of me and wanted to invite me, literally, into his life. I wasn't quite prepared yet, but suggested to him that I would get to the point where we could pursue this relationship further. And I would like to learn about this man who is my biological father. Now let's pause. The shock to my very being and identity cannot be expressed by words. Every part of me felt completely a product, biologically and genetically, of my mother and father. How could this be? Furthermore, my vision, my picture of their relationship with one another could not have possibly allowed for an event of infidelity. My brother Gary was equally shocked. When I began to share this with some of my cousins, they actually couldn't tolerate the idea. The reason they couldn't is that my mom, Ruthie, was the matriarch of their family as well. She was the center and core of both families, and they were not prepared to think of her in a different way. It actually created some conflict for me with my cousins because some of them I did not find sufficiently supportive of what I was going through because they pushed it away because they were not prepared to think of my mom differently. I proposed to them that that was sexist because when we thought that my dad had an affair, albeit prior to his marriage, it was with a nod and a wink. But the thought now that it was my mom who had committed infidelity was so much more challenging for them to accept. And I pointed out to them that I was not judging my mother. I was simply shocked. I had numerous conversations with some of my cousins about this, and some odd things happened. In the middle of a phone call with one of them, who actually was quite supportive of what I was going through, I noticed the text coming through as I was on a conversation with him. The text was from a reporter who had interviewed me previously on professional levels, and her text read that she was writing an article on cases of 23andMe DNA revealing that one's biological parent is not who they thought. And she'd like to know if I had any professional experience with that and wanted to interview me. To receive that text at the moment that I was engaged in this most exceptional of all emotional experiences was staggering. And to me, an example of what we call synchronicity. Let's fast forward. About six months later, we decided, my family intact, including my brother, and his wife, and my partner, Leslie, and my two sons, Jesse and Alex, drove out to Long Island to meet with Ed and his family. They couldn't have been more welcoming, nurturing, and accepting. It was a bizarre experience, nevertheless strangely warm and gratifying at the same time. 
I learned a lot about Milton. I learned that Milton was an unkind, unhappy, cruel, unfriendly, calculating, critical, I can go on and on with negatives, individual. In every way, the antithesis of my father, Sidney. And Ed and his family proposed to me that I should consider myself lucky that I had been raised by Sidney rather than Milton. What presented itself was the opportunity to crystallize the debate about nature versus nurture. My instinct, my philosophy, my worldview had always been that nurture overrode nature, that nurture, environmental circumstances were far more important than genetics. This looked like an affirmation of that to me. After all, my values, my humanism, my sensitivity, my emotional awareness were all consistent with my dad, Sidney, and altogether inconsistent with my biological father, Milton. Nevertheless, the shock to my system, who am I, had to be reconsidered. I'm not quite who I thought I was in that the biology was different. The genetics were different. Still, my emphasis was around nurture over nature. I was familiar with the emerging field of epigenetics. I had read Bruce Lipton's book, The Biology of Belief, in which the science is revealing that our experience, our environment, actually reshapes our genetics. I've long believed that we're not hardwired, and that's a major theme in my book, The Possibility Principle. This worldview, which was now actually being further confirmed for me, of environment playing a larger impact on us than genetics creates an opportunity for a healthier mind and emotions. What do I mean by this? Well, suppose you were not as fortunate as me and your parents didn't nurture you in the way my parents did. You can still learn to nurture yourself by changing your monologue about yourself. You see, in my work as a therapist, working with so many individuals who had far from perfect or even abusive childhoods in history. I helped them to rethink their identity by changing their relationship with their thoughts and feelings, helping them change their monologue with themselves. So what I'm proposing to you is this. If you are not as blessed as I was to have been raised in such a loving, wonderful environment, you too can tap into a new way of nurturing. You can nurture yourself by learning to change your monologue with yourself. If your beliefs and thoughts about yourself are critical or self-limiting, you can learn to develop a positive, self-affirming sense of self. Coming back to my narrative and my story, Gary and I have always been loving, supportive brothers, but since this cataclysmic event of a couple of years ago, we couldn't be closer. The irony that now that we are half brothers rather than full brothers, we are far closer than we ever were before, which reveals that the genetics didn't bring us closer. Indeed, the 
love, the energy, the support, the consideration, the empathy, and the compassion brought us closer together. So I've decided to share this personal narrative with you to help others understand how we can open to a new view of our identity. No matter what our circumstances, we can recalculate and reconsider this question of who am I? In a moment, in one singular moment, when I received that phone call from my brother, Gary, that moment changed my life. Now, I don't mean to suggest that I didn't have a lot of challenging, anxiety-producing, fitful experiences, but I've been processing them. And I believe that ultimately I'm coming to a far more evolved understanding of all of this, one which has me set aside judgment and criticism and just open more deeply and more fully to the enormously rich, rewarding, and embracing environment that my parents provided for me. And to say to any of you who are listening who did not have that blessing, that you can learn to create that environment for yourself. When I work with individuals to try to teach them how to do that, they will often say, that sounds hard. And my response is, have you ever tried? And they nod their head, no. And I say, so you don't know it's hard, but you're having a thought that's telling you it's hard. It's not hard. It's just out of your familiar zone. You're unaware of how to do it, but you can learn how to do it. I hope this sharing has been helpful for you in one way or another way. And it's been helpful for me in that I've needed, I've been desirous of embracing my vulnerability and sharing this with everyone because I have no regard, no concerns about how others may think of me or judge me, but the fuller disclosing of what I've gone through encourages me and brings me a greater sense of self-worth and self-empowerment. And for any of you who are listening who have gone through similar experiences, I encourage you as well to embrace the experience and to let go of fear, judgment, and challenges to your identity. Your identity is not fixed or immutable. Your identity is ultimately what you choose to make of it and the memories you select to have. Thank you for listening and giving me the opportunity to share this story with you. Till next time, be well. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Possibility Podcast with me, Mel Schwartz. To learn more about this topic and related subjects, please be sure to check out The Possibility Principle, my book at thepossibilityprinciple.com. I always welcome and look forward to your feedback. Please leave a comment at the show notes for this episode at melschwartz.com slash podcast or simply send me an email at mel at melschwartz.com. You can also use that email address if you'd like to be a caller on a future show and have a topic you'd like me to discuss. If you never want to miss an episode, find the Possibility Principle in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and be sure to hit that subscribe button. You'll get new episodes as soon as they are released. And if you know anyone who might benefit from the Possibility Podcast, please tell them about the show. Thank you for listening. And until next time, have a great day and keep summoning up those new possibilities. Oh,